This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today, I'm going to cover something that's been around for over 100 years, but it's, it rears its every head, it rears its ugly head, excuse me, every time a legislative group gets back together and that's the topic of rent control or rent regulation. This is generally something, for those of you that don't know, it's, a, it's a basically a, a law or systems of laws that, in my opinion, you know, tweaks the free market and distorts the free market as it pertains to landlord-tenant relationships and landlord-tenant pricing, which often can become hostile and has major impacts on society. But basically, this is when the government uh, tells you, you you can't change, charge the rent you want to charge, which obviously in the mobile home park space, if I want to increase rents, my residents have some say in that. They can vote with their feet, as they say, and they can go somewhere else. Now, as we've talked about in the past, obviously the residents of mobile home parks are sticky, so they don't. it's not as freely uh, available to them to move. You know, if I increase rent $10, they're probably not going to move because it's so expensive to move their home. But if I increase rent by 50% or 100% or some you know gouging number, they should move in most instances, and they probably will. So they can vote with their feet. So that alone should keep me as a landlord in check. And I don't really want the government in the middle of my business. Um, there's been a lot of studies on this. And in general, rent control has been kind of a failure. Um, there's different forms of rent control or price control. Some of the a, a derivative, if you will, of rent control in the last couple of years of the COVID era is the eviction moratorium, in which, situ- which case there's a situation where the government basically said, dear landlords, provide your service for free. Uh, other than air, um, I don't know what else you can, you can have for free and continue to consume. And if I want more gas at the gasoline, at the uh, gas station, I pay more. If I want more milk, soda, beer at the grocery store, I have to pay more. If I don't pay, I don't get any. Obviously there's some exceptions for charitable organizations, things like that. But in general, if you want something, pay for it. If I want a new pair of sneakers, unless I'm gonna steal them from some other kid, I have to pay for them, right? Well. COVID world said, you don't have to pay for your housing. And that's created some other problems that we're not going to cover in today's episode. But that's a form of a rent control. And it generally is bad for landlords. And then in the long run, it's bad for tenants. It's bad for society. And how it's bad is it makes landlords less motivated to provide quantity of housing and quality of housing. Because practically, if I can't increase the rent, but the government increases my taxes, the insurance company increases my insurance, I've got deferred maintenance, I've got long-term capital expenditures. Um, In our current economic environment, supplies are higher, 
labor is higher, inflation is rampant. If my expenses keep going up and my revenue is fixed, I'm going to choose not to do some of the discretionary stuff, such as, you know, I was going to fix the potholes every year. I've got budgeted 5000 a year for road maintenance. Well, i got to pay my taxes. i got to pay my insurance, but I don't have to pay for my road maintenance. So I'll just skip this year. Well, now it's twice as bad next year. Well, I might skip next year. I still have rent control. Well, now, because I didn't maintain it properly, I have deferred maintenance that causes more long-term problems. Now, at some point, I've hurt the infrastructure, etc. You know, back in the day when I was flipping single-family houses, I remember, you know, one of the lessons I learned in some of the Rich Dad Poor Dad seminars was, you know, you want to, generally you want to buy the worst house on the block, um, don't buy the best house on the block, but, but an issue was, here's how you could deter, you could kind of budget for repairs. If the people didn't take care of the outside of the house, which they typically, typically didn't, that's why it was part of the reason it was the worst house in the neighborhood, if the shrubs and bushes were overgrown, if there was 10 newspapers on the porch, if the paint was peeling and chipping, all that kind of stuff. The stuff you could see, if they weren't taking care of that, they probably weren't taking care of the furnace and servicing it properly and things, mechanical systems. So that's what happens in the in those cases, the worst house on the block, when, when their money's tight and they eventually lose it to the bank, they weren't maintaining the property. Well, when revenue is fixed via some artificial constraint that breaks up the regular supply supply and demand economics 101 and the regular free market negotiation between the parties, eventually the maintenance and the care of the property is going to be worse. Um, So rent control, I'm not a fan. Frankly, no landlord should be a fan. Uh, No well-educated citizen, frankly, should be a fan. Um, unless they're a grifter or getting free benefit of it, which in the long run will likely hurt them as well. So what are the types of rent control? Okay, you could have like a strict price ceiling or rent freeze. What this basically means is if today you can only charge $200 lot rent, tomorrow you can charge $200 lot rent, a year from now $200 lot rent. If John Smith moves his home out and John Doe brings a home in, or you bring a home in and sell it to John Doe, $200 lot rent. Clearly, this is going to deter investment from the landlord when there's no upside in revenue. Again, as expenses always go up. How much does a can of Coke cost today versus 50 years ago? You get you get the picture. I saw an, um, an image yesterday on LinkedIn that um, the dollar was worth $26. Um, I think it was 50 years ago compared to a dollar today and just how much inflation is really eating into the, the dollar. Okay, back to the program here. Number one, strict price ceilings. Number two, vacancy control. Sometimes called strict control or strict rent control. And this is what, and basically what this means is um, after a tenant moves out, you can increase the rent, but not by very much. So $200 lot rent, okay, new guy, John Doe, comes in. How about $205? And the government gives you a little bitty crumb, but not enough that makes you excited. This is kind of what's going on in, I believe Oregon has, I think, 7% uh, mobile home park rent increases on top of inflation. So that's actually not that weak, right? That's actually kind of strong, but it's, it's control. In California, there's a bunch of different local ordinances 
that have vacancy control, but then also some of them have vacancy decontrol, which is generally going to be better for uh, the landlord. So if your state is going, your state or local jurisdiction is bringing up the topic of rent control, we, we should argue for at least vacancy decontrol. What that basically means is once John Doe, once John Smith, my first tenant, moves out and John Doe comes in, I can charge whatever rent John Doe and I agree upon. So basically market rent. Um, that is kind of like grandfathering in the old tenants. Um, this is something that, frankly, I think a lot of us do or should do when you buy a park and the rents are way below market. So let's say you buy a park and the rents are currently at 200, but the market's 400. There have been a few bad apples, I call them, in the industry that immediately jumped the rent to 400, knowing that not all the tenants have a place to go. Some people have bought every mobile home park in the town. And they say, hey, rent's 400, take it or leave it. And the result is many of those tenants can't afford it but the landlord has gouged some of them and the landlord has essentially gotten away with it. And the end result is we're now talking about rent control because a couple of those jerks are you know, basically the payday lender form of manufactured housing, which hurts the rest of us. And which is, I think is another dumb policy reason to now implement rent control because if the rent is for that park is now 400 and my park is at 200 and they put in rent control that says I can only go up 2% a year, I will never catch up to 400, and the guy that's at 400 is going to continue to reap, in many respects, unjust profits at the expense of the residents. Now, if I've got vacancy, the residents can move out, but in a fully occupied market, the residents can't as easily leave the 400 pad park or the 400 park to come to the 200 park. And if I'm only at 200, I can't as easily invest in the site prep or invest in the relocation to assist them. But vacancy decontrol, the, the, the more common way to do this that's even unregulated by the government is if I buy a park at $400 market rents, but the current rents are 200 I can increase the current residents a more modest amount, say $30. And the new residents, I can bring in at whatever price I want to set and that they agree to. I can say market rent is 400 And that also kind of lets the existing residents know that, look, you're getting a good deal. And $30 seems like a big increase, but the market's $400. i am not pushing to $400, but it also allows you to kind of, you know, practically, in order to make the park uh, survive long-term, the rents got to be at a number that are going to push the NOI to a, to a level that is going to make the highest and best use of this piece of real estate, manufa manufactured housing. So I can't just keep the rents artificially low forever, or this place is going to get plowed under and rebuild a you know, skyrise apartment or a hotel or something. So you, I can tell the residents, look, you're going to get to 400, but it's going to be like five, six, eight, ten years out. So you know, be happy that I'm not putting you there now, which practically would be mean and would probably price something out of the market. And I've had some clients that have done this and I've said, they're going to leave and then like a third of the tenants leave. And they're like, crap, well now I don't even have cash flow. Um, and they hate me, you know. So it's always a tough push and pull between landlords and tenants. But I think the government being in the middle of it is probably not going to help. So again, three types of rent regulation, strict price, vacancy control, which is basically limited increases, vacancy decontrol, which is uh, basically government protection for the existing resident, but then free market for the others. 
for the new residents. What's the impact of all this? Uh, economists typically agree that rent control is going to reduce the supply of housing, and it's, it's one of the key contributors of urban blight. They put rent control in urban areas, nobody wants to reinvest, and they just become slumlords. Um, in general, rent control also inhibits construction of new housing. Why would you build in a market where you're going you know, to take the risk, construction risk, interest rate risk, development risk, approval risk? Why would you build in that market if the government's telling you you're going to have strict limitations on your revenue? I, uh, I talked about this on a mobile home park I uh, sold in Canton, Missouri. And this is a quote from a f former mentor at my law firm. And in my case, I was trying to get a variance to add a couple vacant lots or fill a couple vacant lots that had setback issues. And the city didn't allow me to do it because the neighboring park had a fire and somebody died. So they decided not to let me, quote, exacerbate my setback issues. And I sold the park. I put it for sale like the next day. And the quote that my uh, mentor had that is applicable to new development, he said, capital goes where it is welcome and it stays where it's appreciated. And in my case of that mobile home park in Canton, they didn't want my investment. So I pulled it out and I said, you're not going to get any. I'm just, this is going to be a below average trailer park and it's going to stay a below average trailer park, but I'm not going to fix it up because you're not going to allow me to increase my revenue by adding more affordable housing to your town. In the development game, I'm not going to add more risk and capital if you're going to limit my upside. So it's pretty obvious to educated folks that rent control is bad, but let's talk about some places that are perhaps not that educated. I saw a recent, um, recent graphic, uh, manufactured housing communities, the rent control forecast for 2022. And I own a lot of parks in Illinois, so I'm especially sensitive there. Illinois is on the high list of um, manufactured housing that may have see rent control. Other states that are facing it right now, one of my clients just sent me something on this, Colorado. Um, in general, um, the, the blue states, um, Democrat states are going to probably be more high on that. So you've got your Californias, um, Oregon, Washington are kind of those are kind of always in the discussions. Now California, Oregon, New York, and Maine already have forms of it, so it's kind of just exacerbating or expanding it. Uh, Massachusetts is at risk. Minnesota, uh, Nevada, that was kind of surprising to me. And then kind of this 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 image says I'm looking at it says tier two, who to watch? Connecticut. Florida. I think Florida is probably more a function of it's Florida is more of a red state, but you got a lot of old people that vote and a lot of educated, wealthy, smart people who live in mobile home parks in Florida. So they want to have controls. Now, Florida already has some control, some form of control in place in the form of their prospectus that kind of supplements and supersedes leases. So if you buy in Florida, it's got a little more hair on it. Not as bad as California, but something to think about there other states maryland michigan new jersey new mexico pennsylvania rhode island and vermont now are these going to get approved probably not in my opinion i think you get a bunch of progressives that want to talk about it beat their chest get credit um, i mean it's like when obama said he was going to close guantanamo bay he was beating his chest i'm going to close guantanamo bay all about it like it's going to happen the first day hey man you had eight years what happened? You had eight years. He never did, right? Because once he, once it was actually time to 
pull it off, you realize that was probably a bad idea. So these these politicians that beat their chest and say they're going to institute rent control, most of them probably know it's a bad idea, and they just are pandering to their base, and they go, oh, we didn't get the votes. Dang, Republicans blew it. Even in the states that are Democrat-led House-Senate governorship. I mean, it's it's all talking points for the most part. So you don't be super worried, but if there's ever time to be worried, it's now because we have a lot of people who have not been paying rent because of the moratorium, and they don't want to pay rent. They don't want to pay more rent. And they have a lot of people who are not working. They don't want to get a job. It's kind of cool just sitting home. I just broke my record on Xbox or Nintendo, wherever they're playing nowadays, and I don't really feel like working. And if I do, I want $19 an hour to you know, hold a fry cup at McDonald's. Um, so I'm a little little jaded, as most landlords should be, on this topic. But I don't think it's going to be that big a concern. Now, if it does happen, there's pros to that. Um, like, I own several parks in Illinois. If Illinois becomes rent control, I'm just probably not going to sell those parks for even longer, right? Because what's going to happen is it's going to be hard for me to sell those parks at a premium price right now because a lot of people are going to be, a lot of people are going to be scared away. But I'm going to buy more parks because other people are scared away of that state. That's what I've been able to do. I've been able to buy some parks in Illinois at good prices because people are afraid of the property tax environment and the liberalism in Illinois. And there's some truth to that. But I'm able to buy parks at in today's market at eight, nine caps, where a lot of states it's five, six, seven caps. Now, can I turn around and flip these parks into five or six cap today? Probably not. But if I'm a long-term holder, at some point, the people will figure out that it's a good idea to change the legislative regime or change these policies. In Illinois, the Democrats been running the show for 50 years in the legislature, and finally, the Speaker of the House was just indicted in the last month for corruption. Um, in Illinois, we had I used to see T-shirts that say, where our governors make our license plates because three of four governors at one point had been uh, imprisoned for corruption. Those are both Republicans and Democrats. So it's not just anti-Democrat rant. But um, there is a benefit to, to being in those states in that if they give you the vacancy control, like New York, you can push it a little bit each year. Um, Jeff Cook, who's been on the show, he owns a ton of parks in New York, and he knows how to navigate that regulatory environment. Now, he's not going to get... 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 percent rent increases so his his yield is going to be constrained but it's also going to be stabilized more and it he also has a lot of um room to grow in the sense that people other people don't want to buy in new york because they're not control so you can build your niche i mean everybody wants to build in austin texas right now right and buy in austin texas well guess what you're not going to find an cap. Uh, on a nice park in Austin, Texas, because of the market. So, so, so the the government should let this market work all this out. Um, landlords that have been doing a good job are being penalized, and they're penalized with rent, and they're proposing penalizing them with rent control and just overall disincentive to improve properties and operate long term. And part of that again is brought on by people in our industry, a few bad apples that are generally people new to the space, that are short-term players, that are jacking up the rents in a way that makes people uncomfortable, that gets you on national news, etc. So, in general, get active in your state association. Get active with your state legislature. Let them know how asinine 
the rent control concept is. Most of them know it. And politicians, a lot of the politicians, you don't see a lot of broke politicians, governors, etc. A lot of them own real estate, mostly multifamily, um, or they're big donors own real estate and lots of multifamily, retail, etc. So rent control is, in my opinion, bad for maintaining affordable quality affordable housing because it artificially constricts supply and reinvestment in the asset class. So if the goal of politicians is creating more affordable housing, they should not have their finger in this pie. Till next time, thanks and God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.